Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Uh, this week, we have a guest. Um, I'd like to introduce everyone to April Winsel. She is the founder of Compassionate Coding, which is described from her website, a conscious business helping technical teams cultivate sustainable human-centered software development practices built on a foundation of emotional intelligence. So welcome to the show, April. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, So let's just dive right into the description. Um, What is compassionate coding and what is the mission? What are you hoping to achieve with the practice and at a greater scale, what are we looking to improve in the technology leadership um, realm? Yeah, so at a high level, uh, compassionate coding is really about humanizing the tech industry. And uh, more specifically, uh, my way to accomplish that is teaching emotional intelligence and related kind of competencies to software engineers, just because of the role, the um, kind of the strong role that they play in uh, the tech industry. I feel like we can make a lot of change by changing how software engineers specifically work, uh, including uh, people involved in engineering leadership as well. Um, but yeah, I started Compassionate Coding after 10 years of working in the tech industry as a software engineer and engineering leader. And um, I saw a lot of uh, gaps in terms of um, where people, uh, there was a lot of stress and burnout was a problem. I saw projects failing because of communication issues. Uh, you mm-hmm. look around and you see the lack of inclusion and diversity in the tech industry. It's hard to miss that. Um, yeah. And of course, building unethical products and, and you know products that take advantage of people. So combined all together, the common denominator there is just a lack of concern for human beings and the human element. And so that's what Compassionate Coding is really about, is bringing the human element to the focus in the tech industry. Makes perfect sense. So you have a blog post. Like, I guess... I saw one of your talks at NG Atlanta and mm-hmm. you made the statement from the beginning. Like you first you apologize a bit for, hey, this is soft stuff. But Well, I, I wouldn't say, say it's I not apologize. <laughs> well, yeah, it was more of you you were just saying that this is not about code. This is about the emotional, you know, the people side of things, which, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason a lot of leaders in our industry still don't get that that's an important piece. What moved you into this focus in your career? Because you worked as both a coder and a leader. You've been on both sides of the fence. What moved you into focusing on this? Yeah, so part of why I started my talk that way is um, just to, because I I used empathy and knew that people in the audience would be resistant to something like this. And so I thought it would be better to anticipate it. Um, And, you know, I really don't see there being a fence, to be honest, between leadership and um, coding. I see Mm -hmm. just, these are just a set of skills out there and people have different degrees of um, experience in all these skills. So I don't consider myself like, oh, I used to be a coder and then I was a manager and then now, you know, I just, I'm a, a, like a coach or something. It's more like, no, like I still code. I still, you know, I feel like even individual contributors uh, have an opportunity to lead projects, to lead, um, you know, their own career even. So I see these leadership skills as being uh, kind of more 
uh, widespread and, and more um, applicable than, than most people uh, give them credit for. Um, so for me, it was just a natural progression of like, I saw a problem in the industry. I wanted to solve it. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was, um, I was making, uh, like a change in terms of, um, my role. It was just being able to use yeah. even more of more skills, basically. Makes sense. Um, for like I, the way that I learned about you online was through Twitter, which is always a scary place to to ever meet anybody, I think. But I basically made a comment out loud before I realized there was this huge, like, I guess the pushback on the way Stack Overflow and how they treat new developers. Yeah. And because I teach students, I have a bunch of students that I taught last year in a boot camp. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say to them, you know, you should definitely go to Stack Overflow to find answers, but mm-hmm. you should not go there to ask questions. <laughs> and it was around the lack of empathy that the moderators had, the yeah. lack of a, like of consideration that was going on for people in our industry. So I guess what, I just want to focus on that one item. You were making a pretty big statement, <laughs> which I agree with, on Stack Overflow. Mm-hmm. What, what, did you, how do you see that experience and how the Stack Overflow experience relates to how some teams are running poorly with mm-hmm. handling the emotional side of software development? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Stack Overflow, I feel like it's just, it's such a great example of kind of this uh, hostility toward people asking for help that is just so widespread. Uh, people, it's just such, a lot of times I say that ego is the biggest problem in tech, and yeah, I, I, yeah. I do I do believe that's the case. And so I think you see that at play on Stack Overflow. Um, like the moderators, some of them, and even just people answering questions, they're motivated, sure, some of them to help people. But a lot of times it's more about, you know, winning those points, those reputation points and trying to look smart and, um, yeah. you know. And, and that's how the site was designed, you know? I mean, even in Joel Spolsky's like recent retrospective, he said, we wanted a site where developers could show how smart they were, you know? It's like, that was, yeah. it was designed that way. So Stack Overflow is a great example of that, but yeah, we see it all the time in Teams. I mean, um, you know, Google did the, they had this project Aristotle recently where they found, you know, what makes for successful teams. And they identified this key um, element, which was psychological safety. And I think, the reason that's so important, and that's the idea that you know you can make mistakes on the team, and and you know you won't be ostracized. Like you, you yeah. feel safe to make mistakes and to learn. And I think that the reason that's so important they called that out is that's just so missing from most of the tech industry. It's like if you make a mistake, you know you're you're, see, you're potentially seen as incompetent. Um, yeah. And you just because ego again is so is so central. It's like oh I don't want to seem. So you hide mistakes, right? A lot of times that happens on teams is people hide mistakes yeah. because they don't, you know, they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be shamed in the industry because shame, again, is really what happens the most on Stack Overflow is just people trying to say, oh, how could you not have found this answer for yourself? You know, you should be ashamed, you know? You know somebody even, I wrote a blog post specifically about Stack Overflow. Somebody commented like, uh, whoever wrote this should be ashamed and everybody who's liking it should be ashamed. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, yeah, you're kind of making my point for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the the weird the thing about the internet or in Twitter is that people can be anonymous and they get a little more, <laughs> I guess, they get a little more juice to feel protected when they knock others. But Stack Overflow actually identifies the people 
And so the culture is almost is completely not anonymous, but the people still act the same in some mm-hmm. cases, so, which is even interesting. It's also the irony of that all is you mentioned Spolsky. Mm-hmm. Um, Fog Creek for years was one of the top comp- software companies that talked about this stuff. Like they basically, like anything you would read from Spolsky in the past talked about the people side of software development. Yet they created a tool that has grown into this completely heartless type of mechanism for users. So I think it's interesting how it evolved and it didn't really evolve the best way. Um, yeah. What other, So have you heard from the Stack Overflow founder or the people running it about, because I know that a blog post came out later by one of their managers about recognizing there's some things that need to change. I don't know if you've heard more on this. Yeah, they, um, a few people at the company in leadership have like publicly like thanked me for writing the blog post and for calling these issues out. Um, so that's been nice. And, and like they're, the blog post they wrote was encouraging, you know, that they do want to make Stack Overflow more welcoming. Um, but I would say it's interesting, although Joel Spolsky has always been, you know, writing about the people side of development and all of that, I will say that you see a lot of the seeds of the culture in some of his older blog posts that talk about, you know, this, this differentiation between the mediocre engineers and like the really good engineers and that some people will just never be good engineers. And that's sort of, that's the elitism that we see happening on Stack Overflow. So although Fog Creek in in some ways was progressive, I would say also they put some things in the culture that are maybe not the most healthy and that we still do have to overcome. Um, But I just wanted to clarify that because I think it's, What's dangerous is that people still pass around Joel's articles and, and to some extent, the other founder, um, Jeff Atwood, as if they're like, you know, um, the gospel, right? They're yeah. shared around like, oh, this is how you do it. And things, you know, they got a lot of things, you know, right. But they also, you know, showed that they didn't really have the key empathy piece uh, early on. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to read those with, you know, a filter and like kind of uh, in a critical sort of way. Well, um, but yeah, so... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just, I was totally agreeing with you. I think that those folks, including people like Uncle Bob, are all mm-hmm. from an old guard. And it's not that some of their insights aren't right on about how to be a quality developer, but they, the culture that they were a part of is not something that we're trying to keep in place. We're not trying to have <laughs> yeah. just a bunch yeah. of alpha males run everything and be the only yeah. part. And that's where they came. That's where they grew up. And yeah. so we're, I think it's fine to call out like, hey, you guys were right about this, but we need to change <laughs> some of the sentiments coming out of what you said before. So, yeah, for sure. So kudos on taking that on, because I know anybody, not just women, but anyone that stands up to a a community the size of a stack overflow is going to get blowback, especially on <laughs> a meter, a medium like Twitter. So I applaud what you're trying to do there because <laughs> I want it to be a place that my students can ask yeah. questions and maybe accidentally write a duplicate question without <laughs> suddenly getting closed and shut down. And then instead being like, you know, Hey, we know you're trying to learn. And mm-hmm. we're going to have a process for you to ask questions when you don't know how to actually search for them at this point. Because that's usually the worst, the hardest part 
in that. But well, yeah. Well, let me. So, April, let me jump in here real quick, based on based on some of the reading I did on your blog. I do want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about uh, about history, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and and learning from 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 experiences. So, based on some readings I was doing on your blog, you you didn't come to this necessarily. This this hasn't been your your mode from day one. Um, there, there's been some learnings along the way as well, as far as mm-hmm. within your own career. Do you want to talk about that a little bit about how, how you got to this place? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's something I've started talking about a lot because I think it people it helps people to see that you know we're all kind of on a on a learning uh, journey here. Um, but yeah, so I have this blog post that I wrote about how I used to be kind of a jerk programmer, um, and I just I say it pretty openly um, because. I think it's beneficial to talk about these things openly. And basically what I mean is just the way the industry is set up, you can go through it being pretty rough around the edges and being kind of ignoring how um, you're affecting people emotionally and you're still rewarded. Like, even though I was, you know, pretty direct, but not just direct, but um, direct without any sort of consideration for, for people's feelings. And yet, you know, I would keep, getting, you know, doing well, keep getting hired, you know, I never got really um, much pushback for that. And I think that that, I just had to come to some, you know, I came to an awareness on my own of just, you know, I'm not happy being this way. Like, I don't, I don't like who I am to succeed in this industry. I don't like that I have to be uh, aggressive and that I have to be, um, you know, so competitive, uh, which I, I really have been um, really competitive. And I thought, you know, because I, I, I also uh, like teach um, kids to code and I teach uh, other adults to code, too. And it just when I was in those modes, it was just so much more pleasant, you know, when you're everybody's just supportive mm-hmm. and uh, it's OK to make mistakes. It's OK to admit you don't know something. It was just a totally different environment. And so I was like, why can't all of tech be like this? Like, there's no reason, there's no like inherent reason why tech can't be like this. So, um, you know, I did a lot of personal growth on my own, um, which I, uh, one thing that helped me there was doing personal retrospectives. So kind of like agile retrospectives for teams, but uh, for myself, um, where I reflected regularly on, you know, what was important to me and how, how I was meeting those goals and what I could do differently. And so I made changes and I, I learned emotional intelligence, um, uh, certain aspects of it. And so I realized that it was a teachable skill. Um, a lot of times there's this, this myth like, oh, programmers just aren't good with people. And so that kind of, they have no responsibility to be, you know, mm-hmm. to treat people decently. And it's just, you know, that's just nonsense. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, the, you can learn these skills. Um, and, I, you know, I've worked with people all across the spectrum, um, you know, of, of emotional intelligence skills. And every using the growth mindset, no matter where you're starting, you can always get better. So um, it may take time, may take practice, but uh, people can make gains in, you know, improving their communication skills, uh, no matter where they're starting from. Sure, sure. So the, I wanted to set that background just so that, that we came everybody had that understanding that this is, this is something that can be learned and, and in general in, in your career and in life, if, if something's not going the right way, you can change your, your Mm -hmm. whole viewpoint on it. It's, and, and that because we're talking about something that some people would consider a little soft, I wanted to, I want to make sure we framed it just right. That, that this is not something that, that, can't be learned from experience. So I, I thought it was real important to get that out there. 
Yeah, I think you're totally right. It is something that can be learned. And, um, you know, in my, I often, I, I don't really like this term soft because I feel like people use it to dismiss things. Yes. Um, like, like, why would you want to do anything soft if, you know, there's this hard thing that you really should be doing? Um, and so uh, I generally try to avoid that because, again, these skills, you can learn them systematically. I mean, that's what I teach in the workshops that I do. You know, we actually like break down um, some of the psychology here and, and it's just, it's it's actually, and they're like frameworks you can use. And it's actually, you know, takes um, a lot of focus and a lot of effort and they're definitely, and it's not always soft as in, you know, you're going around being fake nice to people either. Like that's really not what emotional intelligence is either. And I think sometimes soft gives that impression that it's like, oh, everyone's just happy and smiley all the time. And that's not really it either because um, to really communicate well, you sometimes do have to be very direct with people, but emotional intelligence just gives you strategies for presenting it in a way where it's going to be heard. It's going to be received um, more likely than, you know, if you just come in here and say, oh, well, your code sucks and this sucks and that, you know what I mean? So um, you can still be direct. So in that sense too, it's not always soft sometimes. I mean, if you look at my criticism of Stack Overflow, I have to say, I, I think I was pretty fiercely compassionate there. I don't think I was I was soft by any means. No. Well, on, on the track of learning, and you just mentioned workshops, um, if a company, if a, a business leader wants to make a change, um, where do the like? How does your program work? What can someone mm -hmm. expect if you come into a company and you are teaching what compassionate coding is about? What are the what What do they do day one? How does your process work? What can someone expect? I guess. Yeah. So um, my philosophy is that people will only change if they see how that change will benefit themselves. Uh, so a lot of times, I think training. Uh, at tech companies or just at companies in general is like, here's what you need to do because this is the rule and this is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like those just don't work. Yeah. <laughs> and I know as an engineer, like I would tune out most trainings that I had to do that had nothing to do with code. So, um, so I use that knowledge. I start from that. So I, I start by presenting, you know, the benefits to the individuals and to the company and everything and kind of making the case for it. Um, and that's something that a lot of times traditional, because there's, you know, traditional emotional intelligence programs out there that are meant for managers and stuff like that. Um, but they don't always, they, they don't really frame it in a way where it's like, okay, I'm a software engineer. What does this have to do with what, you know, my work? Yeah. So that's kind of one of the biggest things is just getting people motivated because that's, you know, that's the way to win them over, right? Um, so usually what happens is I'll speak with somebody uh, in leadership and we'll talk about the issues on the team, things they'd like to see improvement on. Um, and for every engagement that I do, I design a custom training schedule. So it's not, I don't just have like a set kind of deck that I run through and, oh, this is the training. Mm -hmm. I really try to understand what's going to appeal most to the audience that I'm dealing with um, and how to how to make the like metaphors that resonate with them and um, understand the values of their specific culture and all of that. So I work with them, come up with a kind of a customized uh, workshop program. And then I come on site and work with the team. And uh, it usually works best when you can get as many people of the team in the room as possible, just so we can make big changes. Uh, but it's just a really interactive session. So we do uh, practice like reframing conversations, uh, understanding when you've had like an emotional episode, kind of breaking it down and understanding like what it means um, and how to, uh, how to use it productively. And so it's, um, it's a really kind of interactive, fun kind of 
experience. I try to keep it engaging mm-hmm. because again, like that's something that, uh, because engineers aren't used to talking about this stuff, yes. it really has to um, be engaging to, to keep their attention. What? So you've been doing this about two years now. This is it May yes. of 2016? So what have you, like, after you've gone into a company that has at least bought into the need to change, what have you mm-hmm. seen on the other side? What ha- Have you seen the positive effects of making changes like this in a team culture. Yeah. And that's been kind of the the most magical piece of it is just kind of seeing, because a lot of this is really I just low hanging fruit. I mean, it's like, I'll go in and somebody will say something like, you know, how do I show, how do I show this customer that they're wrong? You know, cause it's somebody yeah. doing open source and they, and I'm just like, okay, let's, let's take <laughs> a step back from even phrasing it that way. And it's like the very basic stuff. And so then you give them these tools, right. And then I'll hear from the manager like, oh yeah, you know, I've been bringing this up in the one-on-one and I'm seeing progress with so-and-so and all this stuff. And so, you know, it's the kind of thing where, um, it's, it's hard to quantify sometimes. I mean, you can, I certainly do surveys and you can see like how attitudes change and whatnot, but, a lot of it's this just really intangible stuff that makes people um, just, it makes the team run more smoothly, you know? And so hearing those anecdotes, hearing those stories about how, um, you know, the, the, how the jerk on the team (laughs) that used to be like my thing, like how they've started to be more open about, you know, what they, what they are really thinking about and why they're behaving the way they are. I mean, those are the things that really, that really keep me going is just um, being able to hear, those, those little stories of how um, people's lives are changing. And, um, and of course, it's affecting the bottom line, right? Because like, if people are working together better, you're going to get things done faster and um, everything. So another tale from uh, Twitter, because that's, that's, uh, that's a good place for conversation. Sometimes the conversation isn't great, um, but it certainly uh, brings up conversation topics. Um, there was a post someone made about um, that they look, they, they think job hopping portrays uh, a negative example to them. Um, and there was, there was a bit of backlash that job hopping can also indicate that the, the workplace wasn't healthy um, and, and that they need to, they need to move on um, because it wasn't a healthy environment. Um, but I've found more satisfaction in the last five years when I've had three or four different jobs than in the 14 I worked at IBM. So mm-hmm. I, I completely get the the mindset of it's time to find something else, especially if you're in a situation that's not a, a good situation. Um, so I, I I saw those those Twitter posts go out and I'm like, no, I gotta get, I gotta get in on this one. Um, cause I, I do, I do think that you've got to find what's right for you. Um, and, and you, you need to especially get out of something that's, that's not right for you. Yeah. I think that's, that's really well said. Um, yeah, that, that conversation was interesting. I think uh, like in a number of different ways, like I've had maybe like 10 jobs or something over my 10 years in tech. Like I, I hopped around quite a bit and I just, I don't see it as a problem. Like I quit when I was unhappy. I found something new. I learned a bunch. It's actually part of why I was able to start my company is I got such a range of experience at like so many different types of places, like research labs, like big companies, small companies. And so it was really good market research. I didn't know it at the time to uh, start my company. So, uh, you know, I think that, 
we can make gains by improving the culture, but it's also, it's really time to recognize that some people are going to want to move on to, you know, do something new to, to expand their horizons. And I think that companies, um, can do things to make that that transition easier, you know, to have mentoring programs so that it's easier to onboard people. Um, I think so. I think that, you know, I don't think the goal is like to keep people as long as you possibly can. It's more like, yeah, provide a healthy culture, but also when people want to move on, wish them well, you know, and help them make that transition too. So April, what can we take away from this conversation? What are some things to go do um, moving forward if we all want to improve? Yeah. So I think one way is through reframing, just li- literally the terminology we use, um, like not not using soft skills, for example. Um, so, you know, in the, in the past, I've talked about using catalytic skills with the idea that uh, this, these skills kind of help catalyze your uh, use of other skills your um, and the application of them um, and acquiring them. Uh, so that's one is just kind of how you frame it. But really, I think to motivate people, I mean, is to, to really be persuasive is to find out, like, what are the problems that these people are facing? Because they're, they're certainly facing problems. <laughs> if they're if they're completely ignoring this, then they're definitely facing problems. And those problems might be that they're burning out, that they're uh, stressed, that they're frustrated with their coworkers. That's a big one. Like if, if people, um, especially like engineers dealing with non-engineers, if they're frequently frustrated, like, you know, a oh, stupid marketing person, blah, 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 or, you know, uh, the product manager just doesn't understand, like things like that. So if you get them to start talking about their problems, then you can talk about how these emotional intelligence skills help solve those problems. So that's one of the, um, the easiest ways in is to find the pain points. And that's really what why my company is called Compassionate Coding is because compassion is really about minimizing suffering. And so that's really about eliminating pain points. So you find out what the pain points are, give them a path to um, alleviate them. Uh, and then the other way to, I think to address the skeptics is really with the data because Um, There is, you know, there are, there have been studies out there of like what makes a successful software engineer. Um, Even as like in 1994, there was this paper that came out like about the essential competencies of software engineers. And they, the top three they listed was like team oriented, the person um, seeks help and the person helps others. And so those are all, you know, quote, soft skills or these emotional intelligence skills. Um, You know, like I mentioned, Project Aristotle by Google, that's a newer one where they found how important psychological safety is and all these things. So I think um, and back in 2015, uh, the Application Developers Alliance did a study of like what causes software projects to fail. And the top ones they found were all kind of people related things and only like way on the end was like, um, you know, immature dev tools or things like that. And so when you can point to data, too, I feel like that can really help people see that. Uh, the reason projects are failing, you know, the reason uh, projects are late, the reason, you know, people are so unhappy and burning out is because we've been ignoring these skills for like most of the you know duration of the whole existence of the industry. So the name of your company, Compassionate Coding, uh, leads one to believe this is an IT problem. Um, is this IT only or is this more you see this in any company across all divisions. Yeah, you know, it's hard to say because uh, because tech now is part of most businesses. Um, and so you can't really isolate it. And I think the reason people focus on tech, or at least one reason, is that we're trying to be, you know, 
move the needle, push the, you know, push the, the, the boundaries there and whatever to uh, lead the way, um, do the cutting edge stuff. And so if we're going to do that in general in tech, then it'd be nice if we can also do it in this realm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these things affect, uh, affect the business world um, in general. Um, I mean, healthcare is one uh, industry that at least has done more research in, in this area because, you know, compassion, for example, there um, is much it's much easier to, to sell people on the idea of caring about that um, in the healthcare industry, but they still have, you know, a long way to go as well. I mean, you know, um, you still have issues with like doctors burning out and things like that. So they still have some issues, but they're, they are at least more mindful of it, I think, than we are. Um, but I mean, I would love the tech industry to lead the way, you know, I really would because we, we lead the way in other, you know, ways. And so um, why not in this one? This is all really good. What does the future hold for uh, this movement and more specifically compassionate coding? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I travel around quite a bit giving these workshops and speaking and, you know, there's only one of me. And uh, so I don't, I don't really have the desire to, um, you know, to kind of train the trainer and get other people to just because the message is so important to me and I just don't want it to get diluted. Um, so what I'm looking to do is uh, scale out uh, by putting a lot of this online. So having some online materials, online courses that can help people acquire these skills. Uh, because I, I get requests all the time from people like, you know, um, oh, are you going to do a workshop in my in my town, like a public one I can go to? And it's just like, I, I just can't do that. So I'm like, you know, this is, I think the way to reach more people is really to, to get this material online. And as far as like long term, I mean, I want compassionate coding um, you know, rebrand re it, whatever, how, however it goes through the years. I mean, you know, <laughs> as, uh, as I got used to in tech, you know, I'm all about the, the, the pivots and the whatnot, but really I want this to be a new approach to software development. Like I want it to, you know, like how, what agile did, like, I want that to be what compassionate coding does. Instead of saying, what's the lean thing to do what's the agile thing to do. I want it to be, what's the compassionate thing to do in this scenario. Like I want that to be, um, you know, the thing that comes off everybody's lips, you know, when they're discussing the, the projects, that's really the goal, because I think that that's going to help us, um, you know, stop people from burning out. It's going to help our projects be more successful. It's going to help tech be more inclusive. We're going to get more diversity and inclusive. And it's going to keep us from building so many unethical products and using people's data unethically and all that. Because when we actually care about people, we're going to care about all people, including the people we're building the technology for. I, I really like the Compassionate Coding brand. Just personally, when I saw, when I saw you on Twitter and then I saw the name of your company, I was like, oh, I know what this is about. And so many names just don't really strike to what are you trying to do? And I, it just, like I asked a question on here, what are you trying to do? But I really understood. So April, in, if someone is sitting here listening and they are, they don't know where to get started. They don't know the first thing they should do. What would what's some advice or what can you recommend that someone that sees compassionate coding, they see a need, they don't they don't it doesn't have to be some big grandiose thing. Mm -hmm. What what do you recommend people do to become a more compassionate coder, a more compassionate leader? And if they want to make this change What's the first step in your mind that they should try to do? So I think the first step, and this is going to be hard for engineers and people in tech who want to, you know, go, go, go all the time. <laughs> but I think that the, the best thing to do, the most important thing to do is to just take a few moments and slow down. And what I mean by that is mm -hmm. even if it means five minutes at the end of the day, 
take five minutes, uh, take three minutes if five minutes is too long, and just take a few quiet moments and look back at your day and think about think about the things that happened. Think about the people you interacted with, um, whether that was online, through Slack or in person, and think, you know, how did I behave in those situations? Like when, what were my what were my emotions going on today? Because, you know, we're human beings. We don't check our emotions at the door. We have them. So even just a few minutes of quiet reflection, um, looking back at your day, I think would be a great way to start. Because that's the thing is most of us don't take that time at all. So we just kind of go, go, going all the time. Yeah. And we're just like, you know, maybe steamrolling over people, not really caring what they're thinking. So I think if you can just take those few minutes, uh, that's a great start. Um, yeah, so that, that that's really what I would recommend. Sounds that's great advice. Don, you, what's what do you have? Yeah, so so thank you, April. I, I certainly appreciate you being on with us uh, today. Um, I think one takeaway I'm gonna I'm gonna work on is is the rephrasing of the term soft skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm gonna take that in a different direction. Would would EQ skills be a good place to go with that? I do. I th- yeah, I think that would be a good one. I agree. I think that that um, EQ, EQ skills is good. Um, it might be a little more friendly to people than um, than soft skills. Okay. Okay. That's a, it's a learning and takeaway, Randy. Uh, well, I guess the, the final question would be how can people find you? Um, if they want to hire you for their company, if they want to, if you're going to be giving additional speeches, like what's the best way to, for people to hear the message that you're providing? Yeah. So I think um, the best way would be to sign up for my newsletter on compassionatecoding.com. Um, I have a form there to sign up for my newsletter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at April Wenzel, um, where you know that I'm active on Twitter uh, and <laughs> yes. uh, at Compassion Code. And um, I'll be speaking, I'll be doing the full emotional intelligence workshop at a Node Summit in San Francisco in July. Um, it's a Node.js uh, conference. Awesome. Um, and I'll, I'll, I, and I'll be at Pluralsight Live in August, and I've got a few other things in the works, so those will come out via the newsletter. So people just go to CompassionateCoding.com, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, they'll be in the in crowd in terms of, uh, uh, you know, all this, yeah. all this stuff. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. We, I, I truly believe in what the message that you are sending out there, the mission of Compassionate Coding, I run into so many developers that they will acknowledge how important the people side of this business is. Like they're very smart engineers and they, it's not, they understand it's not all about the code, but then they will scoff at any idea that compassion and empathy is a big piece of what they need to Mm -hmm. do. And I, I really hope that we can break through that. And I think programs like yours and the message and what you're saying online is going to get through and improve this industry on that side. Cause I want my students to be able to enjoy a development job career that is improved on approved from what, we all have seen it to be. So again, thanks for being on and showing and sharing this message. And I really look forward to what you have going forward. I love that. Thank you so much. And, and thanks for having me. This has been really fun. Thanks. All right. Thank you, April. We'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. 
Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach, licensed by premiumbeat.com. Voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week. Thank you.